So this time of year, it's Christmas. If you've been with us, if you've been watching online, we know many of you are watching online, or if you've been here in person, you know we've been doing this Advent series, Songs of Christmas. We haven't been exegeting and doing a Bible study on the different Christmas carols. Instead, we've been looking at the songs that we sing as a church during the Christmas season, and we've been kind of asking a question. Do the songs that we sing, the carols that we sing, the Christmas hymns that we sing, do we find the message of those songs actually in the Word of God? Because it might be a great song, it might have a catchy tune, but if the message ultimately is, isn't in the Word of God, then it's not a song that we want to be singing. And so we've been looking at these different songs. We're going to look at one more of those today. We're going to look at the song, O Holy Night. I'm going to go to it in, in just a minute. But I want you to think about the songs that we sing at Christmas and the message in those songs versus the message that we hear out in the world during this time of year. I think that during Christmas, there's really two predominant messages that are being shared. The first one is the one from the world. And bear with me when I say this, but here's the message that the world has for us during Christmas. Are you ready for this? If you're taking notes, it's not going to be too hard to take notes of this. The message that the world says is that Christmas is about you. Christmas is about you. That's what's proclaimed, and even in the songs that we sing during this time of year. But let me show you just, just how clearly this is ingrained into especially American culture. From the time that you are a little child in America, right after Thanksgiving, people start asking you this question. What is Santa going to give you for Christmas? They ask you this question. Have you made yet your Christmas list? Now, I'm not going to say that there's necessarily anything innately wrong with those things, but let me just draw our attention to the fact from the time that you're a child, you're told that Christmas is about you. What am I going to get? What am I going to receive? That's why all the kids are out there now, so I can say the things I'm about to say. No, no. This is for you as parents to go back and help correct them. But right, like that's what we hear. Do you know why people are so nostalgic about Christmas? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Do you know why we're so nostalgic? Because when you were a kid, Christmas was about what? You! I want to go back to that time. I, I want Christmas to be about me. Why do we have all these good feelings about Christmas's past when we were kids? It's because it's, well, Christmas was about me. But then you come to the songs that we've been singing this Christmas season. And we hear the message of those songs, that song that is so beautiful, we're actually going to sing it as a church in just a little bit. It's the song, O Holy Night. I'm not going to sing that song, okay? Not going to do a disservice. It's a beautiful song. We'll sing it today. We're going to sing it on Christmas Eve. But O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices when yonder breaks a new and glorious morn and then it comes to its crescendo. Fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. It builds, it builds, till it calls us to fall on our knees before the baby in a manger. And it's not just O Holy Night that calls us to this. We have the song, not as popular, but Angels from the Realms of Glory. You know this one, right? Angels from the realms of glory, spread your wings o'er all the earth. Ye who sing creation story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. And then... What does it say? Do you know this? Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. 
Hark the herald angel says, hark the herald angel sings, glory to the newborn king. And then the song, O come all ye faithful. It crescendos to the verse, O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Does that... Does the message of those songs sound any different than the message that's proclaimed by the world around Christmas time? See, the message of the carols that we sing, not just in O Holy Night, but in so many of them, is this. It's the proclamation that Christmas is cause for you to fall down and worship Jesus. This is what we proclaim this time of year. What's happening in the remembrance of Christmas, the events of that day, are cause for you and I to fall on our knees and worship. All those songs are inviting us into worship of Jesus, ascribing ultimate value to him. And so today, what I want to do is I want to consider with you why, if the songs of Christmas are true, Worship of Jesus is not just something that we are to be engaged in at Christmas time, but it's something that's continuing to wash over us throughout the year. See, if you put all the songs uh, that we sing at Christmas together, I think you hear one continued refrain that is supported and backed up by the Word of God, and it's this, when you take time, when I take time to gaze upon Jesus for who He is, you will be moved to worship. That's what I'm going to argue for this morning. When you and I take time to gaze upon him for who he is, not who we think he is, but who he proclaims himself to be, if you take the time to do that, you will be moved to worship. In fact, I'm going to argue at the very end this. There's only two possible reasons why you and I aren't directing all of our lives in worship to Jesus. Number one, you're either blind you're blind to seeing him for who he really is. Or, you know him for who he is intellectually, but you are not giving yourself over to gazing upon him. This past summer, we were going to go to uh, Arizona. We we're going to go to see Bryce National, um, the National Park. We didn't have the opportunity to do it, but we're, then we're going to swing down and see the Grand Canyon. And it was the funniest thing to me, as I was looking at some of the reviews for the Grand Canyon. Um, now, I've been to the Grand Canyon. I know what the Grand Canyon is, okay? But, <clears throat> but I'm reading these reviews that were being posted on the Grand Canyon, and I couldn't believe it. This one, this one person wrote <laughs> in their review of the Grand Canyon, such a letdown, not worth the time. <laughs> such a letdown and not worth the time. The next review, literally the next review said, the most spectacular sight I've seen in all my life. You've got to make time to go see the Grand Canyon. Now, what I didn't tell you about the first review, though, was that it's such a letdown, waste of time, couldn't see anything, it was fogged in. Does that make sense? They didn't have a clear view. They didn't have a clear picture of, of the Grand Canyon, and so, so they were blinded to its, to its grandeur, and so there was no awe, there was no worship. I would come to you today and say the same thing. If something is blocking you from seeing Jesus for who he really is, you won't be led to worship. But today, I hope when it's all said and done, we will. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You're thinking, oh, he's going to go to the Gospels. It's Christmas. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. Oh, no. No, no. I'm pulling a switch here. Colossians chapter 1. Not a passage that you often go to this time of year, but a passage that powerfully proclaims to us who Jesus is and should draw us in 
to worship. Now, I turn to this passage because the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians as a letter to a church who was struggling in a season where people were coming to them and they were saying, you know what? Jesus isn't as significant to the Christian faith as you think he is. In fact, you, you, you don't really have to give him all this praise, all this adoration that you think you do. He, he's not as great as all that. Paul comes and says, well, let me dissuade you of any notion that Jesus isn't worthy of worship and praise. And so look with me at chapter 1, verse 15. That's where we're going to start. I'm going to do a little thing with the text here. He keeps referring to Jesus as he and him. I'm, every time I come to that, I'm going to say Jesus' name instead, just so you get the fullness of the context. Here's what Paul says. Are you ready? He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and were for Jesus. Stop there. We're trying this morning to gaze upon Jesus, to say, you know what, I might know intellectually that I'm called to worship him, but, but, but how do I need to see him? What vision of Jesus do we need to have in order to be moved to worship? Well, Paul doesn't pull any punches in this passage. He says right off of the bat there in verse 16, for by Jesus, all things were created. And then he says, in case you're not clear on what it means that he created all things, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. When I say that Jesus is the creator of all things, this is what I'm saying. And then in case that list is not enough, he closes the verse by saying, all things, once again, were created through him. Listen, my friends, when we come to Jesus, the baby in the manger, we are looking at someone who is totally other than us. He was there in the beginning. He created the beginning. Before there was a beginning, there was Jesus. Point number one, Jesus is our creator. Who is he? Why do we fall on our knees before him? Paul says, when you look at that baby in the manger, you're looking at the creator, of heaven and earth. There's a tendency at Christmas time to focus so much on the humanity of Jesus that we tend to lose an understanding of the magnitude of actually who he is. We can't just isolate Jesus in his humanity. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was the creator. When John wrote his gospel, he would say this. This is John 1:3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The author of Hebrews would write, But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he, God the Father, appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also he, that is Jesus, created the world. Why is Jesus worthy of worship? Because he's the creator of all things. Apart from Jesus, you would not exist. Apart from Jesus, or because of Jesus, you do exist. When we come to the baby, low in a manger, we come to one who is the creator of heaven and earth, and by definition, the creator of you and me. And here's the deal. As the creator, Paul's point in letting us know that Jesus is the creator is to make this point. As the creator, Jesus is supreme over everything. If he's the creator, we are the creation, 
that means that Jesus is supreme over everything. And the way that Paul wants us to see this is he says here that Jesus, notice that back in verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, you might read that verse, and some people have read that verse, and they say, well, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Does that mean that Jesus was a created thing? Because often we use the phrase firstborn in reference to somebody who, who comes from somebody else. It's, it's, the, it's the firstborn child. So when, when Paul says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, does that mean that Jesus is he's supreme because he's the first created thing? That's not actually how Paul's using it here. In the ancient world, in referring to somebody as the firstborn was used to refer to their superiority, their place of preeminence, their place of honor. The firstborn son in the ancient world was the one who got everything. All the other children, well, they just kind of fell in line. By the way, my brother Todd loves this, right? And I'm not even looking at him right now because he's here today, and I know he's saying, you know, you know, that's the ancient world. Not anymore, folks. <laughs> not anymore. No. But that's how Paul's using it here. He's coming to us and he's wanting us to know that Jesus has no equal. He's the heir of all things. Jesus is not a created being. He became, as the creator, part of the creation and is therefore superior to it. This is why Paul lets us know that he created thrones and dominions. The creator come as creature, yet nonetheless, he is supreme. I was thinking about the application of this in your life and my life. I was thinking how when you gaze upon Jesus and you see him as truly being the supreme one, the, the preeminent one, that he's not just superior to you, but he's superior to everyone else. How we should fall on our knees and worship because nothing compares to him. Nothing compares to him. When we see him as supreme, guess what we get to do? One of the reasons why we want to worship him when we really take him as creator and supreme is it frees us from having to try and be supreme ourselves. The creator is Jesus. He is supreme because he's the creator. Listen, we sometimes view humanity in this way. Like there's a hierarchy within humanity. You know, there is a hierarchy in creation. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. But humanity, plural, not humanity, singular. What I mean by that is it's Jesus, number one, supreme over everything, and everybody else is in last place, all right? It's, there's no second, third, and fourth place. Are you tracking with me? And, and so when we as Christians embrace this truth, we stop striving to be supreme, to, to be over people, to, to try and make ourselves better than others. Listen, if you right now today find yourself comparing yourself to someone else, you're wasting your time. Because the only person to compare yourself to is Jesus, the creator. And when you do that, guess what? Nobody measures up. And so anyone that you're trying to impress, any person that you're trying to live for, at the end of the day, you're wasting so much energy because there's only one that deserves that kind of energy. It's Jesus. Do you see how freeing this can be for us? 
as creator. He's supreme over everything. This brings freedom. So who are you enamored by? Stop it. (laughs) There's nobody worth looking at. There's nobody worth fixating on. There's nobody worth comparing yourself to. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one worthy of it. But there's something else that Paul lets us know about him being creator. As creator, Jesus is also the owner of everything. You see, if Jesus is the creator of all things, that by definition makes him, guess what? The owner. You write a song, compose a song, write a book, that's yours. You have ownership over it. You've created it. Unless you give that, the rights away to that, and guess what? Jesus ain't giving his rights away to anybody. It's all his. He's never relinquished his power. Look at the verse where he says, all things were created through him and for him. How much was created for you? Let me read the verse one more time. All things were created through him and what? For him. You, me, everything, it was created not only by him but for him. He has ownership over it all. It all belongs to him. Everything you have, guess what, is his. Have you heard us say in the past, we're stewards, we're not owners? We're stewards, we're not owners. The idea that you are only a steward of the things that we have and not owners, it's hard to admit. We function in the day-to-day under the illusion that this verse doesn't apply to us, that he, that that the things that were created actually, that they're, they're for us and not for, for him. If you want to prove this, I'd invite you to, at your own caution and your own risk, Christmas Day, find yourself a little kid. Sit next to them when they open a gift. Once they're done opening the gift and they smile in excitement, take the gift away from them. It will validate my point that we believe we're owners and not stewards. Oh, it's a lot of fun to do it. You should try. No, don't do it, okay? If you want a happy Merry Christmas. Can we get real for a moment? Do you think we ever grow out of that? Do we ever grow out of the illusion that we are owners and not stewards? You want to know if Jesus is being worshipped by you today. If you've embraced and are really gazing upon him as the creator of all things, how do you view the things that you have? Once again, one of the beautiful things about gazing upon Jesus is that when you do so in worship of him, acknowledging him as creator, you get to let go of things. If you really believe that Jesus is the creator, and as the creator, owner of everything, In this world, can you ever lose anything? If Jesus is the true owner of everything you possess, can you ever truly lose anything? What's the answer? No, it was not yours to begin with. Do you know how freeing that is? To look at your stuff? Come and worship, come and worship. I want to worship because I don't want the stress of believing that it's mine. I don't need the anxiety of trying to hold on to all these things, trying to put on a good face before other people or act superior. All of that just, when you worship him for who he is, all that just goes out the door. 
And there's a joy that comes. There's a peace that comes. There's a hope that comes. We come to him as the creator. But then Paul says this in verse 17. He goes beyond showing him as just the creator. He says, and he is before all things. That's Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus isn't simply a watchmaker who put the watch together, wound up the springs, let the thing go, and this orb has just been spinning through space. He's the creator, but then this is a display of his immense power. He continues to hold all things together. Your life, my life, is dependent upon Jesus. I will not live one day longer or shorter than the days that he has appointed for me. And it also applies to you too. He's the sustainer of all things. Years ago when I was studying this, I wrote down this truth that's continued to play into my mind, and it's this. Everything in our world is dependent upon everything else but not God. Everything else in our world is dependent upon something else. Plants need light, they need air, we need this. Everything needs something else within the created order to exist. But God doesn't because he's the creator, he's the sustainer of all things. Every molecule is held together by him. Things exist not simply because he created them, but because he continues to sustain them. This reveals two very powerful truths to me. Number one, Jesus has all the power. Jesus has all the power. As sustainer, Jesus has all the power. Again, any power that I exert, any control that I appear to exert, is just simply what I'm doing aligning with what God has already designed to happen. I don't have the power. You don't have the power. God has the power. As sustainer, Jesus has all the power. It means also that as sustainer, Jesus has all the control. If he's got all the power, then no plan of his can be thwarted, which means that he has all the control. During his earthly ministry, after he grew from the baby in a manger, we see him beginning just to give us glimpses of what it means for him to hold everything together, to have all the power, to have complete control. He's on a boat with his disciples. He's on the Sea of Galilee. The storm is raging. He's there in the bow of the boat. The disciples are freaking out because they can't control the storm. They think they're going to drown. They wake Jesus up. And he just says to the wind and the storm, be still. And it's still. There's, there are all of these glimpses throughout Jesus' earthly ministry where he is, I don't know if it's for our benefit, for their benefit, showing his power and showing his control. The crowds, over 15,000 people, we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but, but that only counted the men. It didn't count the women and children. They're, they're hungry. It's at the end of the day, he says, you know what, just give me a little bit. And sh let me show you what I can do. I can sustain the hunger of the crowd. He prays over it, and the food is multiplied, and there's food left over. He's got all the power as sustainer. He's got all the control. And then, today, something happened. Today. You woke up, and depending upon when you woke up, you might have seen something happen. Our earth rotating in the midst of the cosmos, spinning, we witnessed the sun rising up in all of its power. 
heating our earth to sustain life on this planet. But do you know who held that all together? What's his name, folks? Jesus. Fall on your knees. Jesus is creator. Jesus is sustainer. If he holds all things together, which he does, if he has all the power and all the control, what that means for you and me is that we have a freedom again. We have a freedom again to not try and to control, to grasp for power. Instead, we can continue to release things to him as an act of worship. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And oh, by the way, he can actually do something about your cares. I was going to show you a picture of it. I, I didn't get the time. We were having some technical difficulties to, to show it to you. But I want you to have this image in your mind. There, there was a Marvel movie with Captain America in it. I, I can't remember which one it was. But you know, Captain America is this super soldier in the Marvel comics. It's played by an actor named Chris Evans, who my wife absolutely... I won't get into it. She, well, she doesn't like him, but there's, there's reasons for that, all right? Sorry, honey, I just I couldn't resist. <clears throat> but in this one scene, here's what Captain America does. A helicopter's getting ready to take off of a building. Captain America sees the helicopter taking off. So he runs over to the foot of the helicopter, and he grasps it with one hand. And then there's a support structure on the building, and he grasps it with the other hand. And at this moment, everyone who's watching it has to suspend disbelief because what is Captain America capable of doing? He's literally able, with the strength of his might, keeping the helicopter from taking off. And as you watch the movie, you're like, yay, Captain America. And you believe it because he's Captain America. Now, if one of you went to try and do that same thing in real life, what would we all try and do? Stop! What are you thinking? It's going to rip your arms out of your socket. I don't want to see that. Because we know that's an illusion, that kind of power, right? That kind of control. Can you look back on your past week and see sometime in some place where you thought you were Captain America? <laughs> that somebody from the outside looking in who knows and believes that Jesus has all the power and has all the control, were to look at you trying to act in such a way and, and say, what you were doing right then and there was about as crazy as what Captain America tried to do in that movie. But see, if we believe this to be true, we fall on our knees and worship and we say, we don't, we don't have to function in that way. Because there's no Captain America, but there is only one Jesus. So Paul tells us, why do we worship him? What do we have to see clearly? The only reason I believe that you and I might be looking at Jesus this Christmas season and singing the songs, come and worship and fall on your knees, but not actually being moved to do so, one of the reasons could be because you don't have a clear view of who Jesus is. You went to the Grand Canyon on a foggy day. I'm trying to move the fog out of the way for you to see it, to gaze upon him. But then Paul closes with this. If you think those two things are in and of themselves enough for you to fall in, down in worship, there's one final one. It's the greatest of them all. It's that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Not just creator, not just sustainer, but he is Savior. Look at verse 18 with me. 
And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, he is so worthy of worship. When you see him for who he is, not just as creator, not just as sustainer, but as Paul says there, he is humanity's savior. Every person who has ever been born on this earth was born into a war. Did you know that? A war between God and humanity. A war that we started when we rebelled against God's reign and rule. It started with Adam and Eve. And this war, by the way, it's not like... It's not like the war when it was us versus the Germans in World War II. This isn't a war where it's like, who's going to win? What's the outcome? Boy, I'm on the edge of my seat. Will humanity defeat God? Tune in next week. It's not that kind of a war. It's a war that we cannot finish, that we cannot win. It's a war that we're losing every single time. A war whose consequence for humanity The losing side is eternal death and torment. You see, it was a war that was begun with Adam and Eve, and some of you might be saying, why don't we just lay down our arms and stop the war? What Paul alludes to in this text is that we're incapable of stopping it because the only way for our war with God to come to an end is to be reconciled to him, and the only way that we can be reconciled to him is if God himself puts the just end to the war, and the just end to the war is making sure that every perpetrator of the war experiences condemnation and death. And so according to Paul, this, my friends, is why Jesus came. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus came to this earth on a very specific rescue mission. He came to this earth to end the war. But here is where things get audacious. Did you listen to verse 20? As I said before, the only way the war can come to a just end is if all those responsible face punishment and judgment for their deeds. That's why in verse 20, it tells us, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How, church? By the blood of his cross. Jesus came to die the one who created everything, the one who owns all things, the one who sustains all things, the one with all the power, the one who needs nothing, the one who did not start the war, he came to die. It's one thing to see Jesus as creator. It's one thing to see him as sustainer. But the most beautiful picture of Jesus is the one where we say he had all the power, all the glory, but he came to reconcile. And he did it through death. He had to be born as a man, as a human, to endure life as a human, perfect and freed, not giving in to temptation, but then to go and to die on a cross for you and me. The only way that we're reconciled, 
The only way we don't experience what we all deserve is for him to die in our place. Jesus is our Savior. This is great and glorious and good news. This past year, I came across a story about a man by the name of Dalen McClee. Dalen McClee was in his apartment when all of a sudden he heard this loud, what sounded to him as an explosion. He didn't quite make sense of it. He thought, well, maybe it was an earthquake and he misheard, but somebody came running into his apartment and, and the person said, a car has just crashed into the apartment building, is it engulfed in flames. Uh, he immediately, Dalen went down the stairs, went and saw that it was a police car. It had been chasing another car, had lost control, and flown into this apartment building. Fortunately, no one in the building was harmed, but, but he came and he saw that the officer was incapacitated, and so he went into the car as it was burning, pulled the officer, and saved his life. Now, obviously, he was marked as a hero. People thought this was incredible that, that the guy would, would do that, but the story gets all the more incredible. You know why? Because in 2018, he had filed a lawsuit against that same police department. He was going to a restaurant because his sister had been confronted by an individual and she felt like she was going to face harm. And so she went to, he went to the restaurant to, to extract her from the situation. When they got there, the police arrived on the scene. They mistook him for someone else. They actually fired shots at him, missed him. He was not doing anything wrong in the moment. And when people found out later that this was the same guy who went into a fire and took a police officer out of the car, they say, why did you do that? Did you, did you hesitate at all because of how you had been treated? And this guy said, no, not at all. This man's life was worth it, so I went to save him. Like, that's a powerful story of somebody who, who could, in their heart and mind, should I do something for these people who had so wronged me? Now take that and think of what Jesus Christ has done for us. All our sin, all of our disobedience, all the ways that we have rebelled against him, and yet he comes down as a human, lives creator as creature, not just to take a tour of the sights, but so that the culmination of his life would be death, death on a cross. And for those who would put their faith and trust in him, who would believe in that sacrifice, they would know Jesus as their Savior. So is the song, O Holy Night, is it right? Should we come and adore him? Should we fall on our knees? If Jesus is our creator, sustainer, and savior, today I believe the answer is yes. And not just at Christmas time. Not just at Christmas time, but your life and my life. When we gaze upon Jesus for who he is, we will be moved to worship. And so my question today is this. As you come to him, do you have a clear view of who he is? Are you clear on who he is? Because as I said, there's only, there's only two reasons why we're not bowing down in worship. Either number one, we're blind. And if we're blind, there's only one thing that can lift that blindness. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so today, some of you might need to say, <clears throat> man, 
what he's saying sounds good, what he's saying sounds true, but it doesn't hit me at my core. There's nothing more that I can say this morning to hit you at your core. But you can pray and you can ask the Lord to do the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing you to embrace these truths for what they are. For those of us who have come to know the Holy Spirit who don't feel that we're blind, I hope you're not lazy. What I mean by that is I hope the thing that isn't keeping you from falling on your knees and worshiping him is that you simply don't take the time to gaze upon the wonder of your creator, sustainer, and savior. That message should never get tiring. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you, King of kings and Lord of lords, we give you those titles because of what we've just heard Paul proclaim, your scriptures proclaim. You are before all things, you created all things, and in you all things hold together. Lord, free us from the illusion and delusion that we have ownership, that we have power, that we have control, that we're capable of ending the war in our own power or in our own strength. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful by the power which you've already given to us through your Spirit to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and the love that you have for us. Lord, help us to see you clearly. May our review of Jesus never be, it's not worth the time. But may our review of Jesus be the proclamation, oh, come, let us adore him. And for those in this place today who don't see Jesus in that way, who desire a solution to the problem of their sin and shame and guilt, who feel the effects of the war, but Lord, have not come to know the peace through reconciled Jesus. Lord, my prayer today is that they would simply come to you and say, oh Lord, would you give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the message that Jesus Christ is my creator, sustainer, and savior so that they too might rejoice in Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so to him be the glory both now and forever, we pray. Amen and amen.